Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Cantor Hilary Chorney. I want to talk about this really interesting dilemma that so many people are going to begin to have. Maybe some of you have begun to have, which is the following. Um, one of the downsides to the real miracle of the COVID vaccine is that we have no scientific evidence to let us know whether or not a vaccinated individual it can be a carrier or a spreader of the virus. So what we know is that by the time somebody is a week or two, depending on the vaccine that they get, past their second dose of receiving the vaccine, if they're blessed to get it, and everyone should get it. And I hope that we work on a uh, a fair and ethical and speedy rollout of the whole thing. By the time somebody gets a week or two past their second dose, they're about 95% protected, depending on their immunoefficiency in their system, from, from being infected. But what we don't know is whether or not they might still be able, when they go into different environments, to infect others by way of carrying the virus around, which creates a bit of an ethical dilemma to some extent, because now they're facing something that's very similar, actually, to the mask dilemma. It's just not the way that we've all been thinking about masks, and we all know it, which is that covering yourself or choosing not to go into an environment becomes not about a protection for oneself, but almost entirely about protection of the other people and the environment that you're going into. And I want that to be the mindset that we have going into this exploration of text that we're about to do, which is what's the responsibility that we have, particularly when we're just functioning in and around in a society, when it comes to things that don't really have much of a threat to us or to our family, but might pose a threat to other people who are just wandering out there in the world and who are our friends and neighbors and, and strangers down the street. So that's the mindset that I want us to be in with that real life dilemma in the back of our mind. We may or may not come back to it, but I also just wanted to plant that for you because I think that's a challenging dilemma that's out there and a real one for, for many of us that's coming uh, coming soon for those of us who are not yet vaccinated and maybe something real for some of you already. So we're in the 21st chapter of Exodus in verse 33. Does somebody want to read for us these two verses, 33 and 34, either in the Hebrew, which is rather simple, or in the English or both? Marshall, go for it. Got it. Okay. Okay, I'll read it in both languages. I'll translate that first. Great. When a man opens a pit or digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or an ass falls into it, and then verse 34, Baal habor yishalem kesef, yashiv lib alav, v'hamet yelo, 
The one responsible for the pit must make restitution. He shall pay the price to the owner, but shall keep the dead animal. Great. Some other time, we can we can explore the um, the kesef yeshiv livala vehameti hielo the the whole he pays the owner but he gets to keep the dead animal because that in and of itself would be worthy of an exploration. That's not where we're going today. Where we want to go is to the shot of this verse, to the plain context of this verse. I'd love for somebody else besides Marshall, and thank you, Marshall. That was a great um, plain read of, of the verse, and thank you for reading the translation out loud. Someone else tell me, what's the context here? What What is the simple context of what's going on? Who's, who's whole? What are they probably digging a hole for? And whose animal has fallen in? What's happening in this scene? Joanna, go for it. So I think what's happening is a sense of when you make some kind of change to your property, you have to anticipate any potential harms or dangers that that might cause. So who's who's doing the digging? Some like what 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 are we picturing? This is like. Uh, uh, this is on somebody's personal property, public property. What are they digging for? What do we think? I read it as on private property. I almost saw it as like digging for a well. Sure. Uh, Okay. Great. uh, And is it their own animal who's fallen in or is it someone else's animal who's fallen in? Let's just be clear. In my read, it's someone else's animal. Great. I, I think so, too, because I think it's clear by the next verse that the that there's a different individual. Baal Habor seems to be a secondary individual who they have to pay because their animal has fallen in. So I think we've got at least two players in this scenario. You've got a pit digger who's digging a pit for some reason. Right. They've opened up a pit and they've not covered it. And someone else's animal who seems to be a work animal of some kind, or at least owned by some other individual for their family has fallen into it. And you're right. It has something to do with a cognizance of the impact they're going to have on someone else. That's great. It looks like Brant has something that he wants to chime in about. I think it's public property. Public. Okay. I don't think it's private uh, property at all. Okay. What make what makes you say that? Because if if, if, if you're in a public, if it, it, it's not. If the, there's no reference to the owner. It's the digging. And if you're digging on your private property and someone falls into it, they're also trespassing. So it's a public thoroughfare of some kind that you dug into. That's very interesting, right? So because otherwise you you like why is somebody on your property and in the first place? Like, is this your employee who did it? And so interesting. So that's kind of your assumption. Great. We're going to leap right ahead into what what was the assumption that we could make from this from from this piece from Tanakh. We're going to go right into the Talmud on this. I didn't want to spend so much. I would have really enjoyed to dig into the Mishnah, that next layer. I'm going to do a quick reminder here of the layers, the the geological layers here of rabbinic literature. And there are lots of layers of oral rabbinic conversation. They get codified as an oral conversation around the year 200 of the Common Era as the Mishnah, and then the Mishnah, along with a secondary layer of conversation that we call the Gemara, come together as the Talmud codified in a conversation around the year 600 as an oral body of organized conversation that includes both law and story, okay? 
which eventually gets written down. So here we have both Mishnah and Gemara, the conversation that gets layered on top of it, codified in 600. So Mishnah is in there, but it's not the Mishnah alone itself. So we didn't stop and, and ponder the Mishnah. We're jumping right to Talmud. Are you all with me? Right? We're going right to the next layer, 400 years leaping ahead. Um, and we're going to look at Bavakama, which looks at the impact of this verse and make some assumptions. Okay, make some assumptions about what's happening in this story. Um, boy, we could spend a lot of time on on this, but but I want us to at least get into what assumptions it's making about this. Is there someone else who hasn't read yet, who maybe, or any of you actually, any of you want to read this in the English? We're not going to have time to pick it apart in the Aramaic, though that would be fun. Larry, yeah, please. In, was that a hand? Go for it, Larry. So read Bravo Shaya. Rabbi Shai raised this an objection from a Bharata discussing the pit. It is derived from the verse, if a man shall open a pit, or if a man shall dig a pit and not cover it, and an axe or a donkey fall therein, that the digger is liable to pay restitution only if what incurred damage is an ox but not a person, or a donkey but not vessels. From here, the sages stated, that if an ox with its equipment fell into a pit, and the ox was wounded, and the equipment broke, or if a donkey with its equipment fell in, and the donkey was wounded, and the equipment tore, then the one who dug the pit is liable to pay restitution for any injury sustained by the animal, but exempt from paying restitution for the damaged equipment. To what case is this similar? It is similar to the case of his stone or his knife, or his load that he left in the public domain, and they caused damage. Great. Thank you so much for reading that. I I imagine that this kind of a reading makes lawyers smile very much, right? Because this is like, this is great damages stuff. Just wait till you get into Nazikin. Like, Talmud is great damages law. Um, you can tell... Well, tell me about two things that they seem, name one or two things they seem very concerned about in this case. What seems to be of great concern to them in terms of the liability here? Yeah, Marshall? Uh, just make sure you're unmuted, Marshall, before you speak. Yeah, there you go. Okay. I guess it's a question of collateral damage that the text in the Torah itself says specifically an ox or an ass. And it doesn't happen, talk about anything which relates to something they may be carrying. Great. So it wants to kind of limit, you know, uh, what can actually be covered by this verse, right? So it's not just anything that this verse is referring to. It's specifically referring to an animal that might be, uh, that might fall and be damaged in this particular respect that's being described by the verse. And then it wants the, the Bavakama, the discussion in Bavakama wants to decide uh, what happens if, these other things might also occur, right? Because real life law, and this is what Talmud and later codes are concerned with, is how is this lived out? Because other things are going to fall in pits as well. So how does this get lived out? Good. And what, going back to, to the comment that um, that Brant made and also uh, Joanna, do we think that the assumption here now is that it what, this is happening in the private domain or in the public domain? That this is happening on private property or on public property? Feel free to answer, Marshall, or, or someone else can answer. I happen to think it's in, it's in the public domain. 
given that it's a parallel to the public, given that that it seems to be uh, offered as a parallel to a case in a public domain, that seems to be so. Joanna, did you want to chime in? Since you said something else before, I want to give you a chance to... To me, the fact that it specifies the public domain here doesn't necessarily rule out the private domain. I would almost think that the fact that if something happens in the private domain, um, I don't necessarily agree with, like, why would there be visitors and is it necessarily someone trespassing? Maybe someone had business to do on the property, had been invited to the property. But I think to me, the fact that damages would be owed on private property is probably fairly obvious. So that the only thing that needs clarification is if it happens in the public domain. Right. So I'm going to be very Jewish here. First of all, I think that's great reasoning and you're getting a thumbs up from Brandt, right? And I think you're probably all correct. And I'm going to give you something that's in between here, which is to say, I think that what's happening here is a concern with what happens when you don't consider the impact of your digging on a passerby. And it may not actually be in regards to whether or not you're on private property or public property. It's just whether or not you dug a hole and didn't consider the impact on someone going by. So there may be, and there are, by the way, in um, in various layers of rabbinic literature, many different layers in between simply the public domain and the private domain. There are, there are, um, I'm trying to translate live. There are like courtyards and thoroughfares and mainways. And there are many different layers of in between the totally public and the totally private. This doesn't name specifically neither in the Tanakh nor here in Bavakama does it name specifically where this is happening. Rather, the concern here is what happens when somebody digs a hole and isn't concerned at the time, isn't concerned enough to cover it up. And someone comes by and trips and falls in it. And they're not worried about the impact of their individual action on the next person who comes by and an animal and a large animal who's a large part of the family's livelihood, who's a living being, right? A creature trips and falls and, and uh, dies in, in, uh, according to the clarification of the second verse, right? They, they get the dead animal uh, that they, that's the consequence of it, well, then we need to consider what happens in those cases. So what this is going to is the ethic and the ethos of considering the consequences of an individual action when done in a domain that's kind of questionable. Is this really private? Is it really public? It doesn't matter if it's public or it's private. There are other people around and your actions are going to impact them. So I want us to read a story from the Midrash about this. And this is a story that I learned first from the Midrash in the context of um, environmental health uh, from my teacher and then Dean, Rabbi Danny Nevins, who taught this in the context of environmental um, of, of uh, environmental health and climate change awareness, right? So I'm going to read the stories that I know where I'm stopping in it. It's from Vayikra Raba from 4-6. Uh, So it's the backside of that first source page if you want to follow along. So here it is. So there's this teaching um, from Chizkiyahu, and it's this quote 
from Jeremiah, Israel are like scattered sheep. Why are Israel likened to a sheep? Just as a sheep when hurt on its head or some other body part, all of its body parts feel it. So it is with Israel when one of them sins and everybody feels it. When one man sins, you will be wrathful with the whole community. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai taught a parable, and this is the parable that I want to teach you. That was my parenthetical. Men were on a ship. One of them took a drill and started drilling underneath him. The other said to him, what are you sitting and doing? He replied, what do you care? Is this not underneath my area that I am drilling? They said to him, but the water will rise and flood us all on this ship. This is like Eov said, if indeed I have erred, my error remains with me. But his friend said to him, he adds transgression to his sin. He extends it among us. So it's like the guy on a boat who drills a hole underneath his seat and his friends are screaming, what are you doing to all of us? And he says, I'm just drilling underneath my seat. What do you care? How does that story sit with all of you? What does that story bring up for you? You know, people like that, you know, guys in the boat like that. We are, we are our brother's keeper. Our rights stop where other people's rights begin. Our rights stop where other people's rights begin. Okay, so, right, so this is wonderful. This is the, this is the infringement clause, right? This is, uh, you know, we are free, we are free, we are free. But as soon as we begin to infringe upon other people, then we have to remember that it's our responsibility to be our brother's keeper, right? And so we have to check our liberty when we begin to to endanger the people around us. I noticed Gary and Marlise, maybe we're going to chime in. Yes. And it, um, well, it just sort of makes also being calls being mindful that maybe this is really an obvious, but there are other ways that that we're all in there's a connection between everything and affect other people. Yeah, this awareness that the actions that we have affect and impact other other people, um, right? I, I imagine if the guy in the boat, if it wasn't uh, if it wasn't vengeful, but rather just a complete lack of awareness, like what do you even care? I'm over here drilling in my part of the boat. A complete lack of awareness that his actions would even impact on other people, right? Or to go back to the the digging a pit analogy, because I really am trying to bridge this with that story. There is a lack of awareness there that having, uh, that having not covered up that pit wouldn't uh, impact someone else. You know, about three months ago, and I urge you to look this up, Rabbi Yosef Konefsky wrote a beautiful article in the Jewish Journal about how he, as a walker, and I think he might have even mentioned as a as a bicycle rider, right, as a cyclist, how he's impacted by people who choose not to use their turn signals in Pico Robertson. It was a short but beautiful article about that. You think it doesn't matter, right? You think it doesn't matter, but do you know how many times I feel like my life is in danger and know my life is in danger because you aren't bothering to use your turn signal or look before you you go. It's it's this lack of awareness about other people around you um, in the world because you're in your own space. Marshall, I saw you wanted to chime in. Uh, well, I think that even refers to the fact that even if it is causing injury to somebody else was inadvertent, that is you're saying he wasn't aware of it, 
then he's still responsible. And I think that goes back to the the uh, end of the previous section we just looked at, where it says that it's similar to a case of his stone or his knife or his loathing left in the public domain. The guy just sort of forgot about it. He left his stone there, his, his, his knife, but he's still responsible. And whether it's a big pit or a small knife, he has an ultimate responsibility for his actions. And one might say, well, that gosh, that's, that's inordinately punitive, right? Well, he just forgot his load, but remember that the story is there to teach us about an ethos, right? The story is to teach us about mindfulness. It's not necessarily about the law in this moment. We can discuss also the law and whether or not those punitive damages are a fair punitive damages. Mm -hmm. But the story is to teach us about what it means to live every day with an awareness of, you know what, if I leave this out right now, if I don't use my turn signal, if I leave this uncovered, right? If I don't bother to unplug this, uh, you know, my, my cord that I leave, I leave my computer plugged in my office like this, I'm just going to charge it overnight and my coworker might walk in tomorrow morning and not know that it's plugged in, whatever, you know, a stumbling block. Uh, an awareness that other people are walking through the world, uh, that's what the story is there to teach us is this ethic of, uh, of mindfulness about other people walking through the world and how our actions impact on them. Yeah, Larry. Um, it's what you talked about earlier, Rabbi, about the mask issue. Um, like Rabbi Konofsky, I'm a walker, and I walk substantially in the morning, and it is shocking to me how many people don't wear masks. And it's the same theory here that they can just go through life and not think of others. And one would think that um, folks would be a little more considerate, especially in this situation where it's a matter of life and death. It's not just a matter of property damage. Yeah, it it's particularly frustrating, I think, Larry, when um, when it feels as though the bar for their their action, at least it frustrates me when I feel like the bar for the action is is low, right? To put on a mask doesn't doesn't feel so onerous. You know, I, I'm challenged by Marshall's uh, example because you know, what if somebody did just you know leave their forgot their load out? Like, I think that's actually a really fair example to bring up. There are people out there, workers out there, actually, who have who struggle and fi- to figure out what to do. What if somebody parked their truck somewhere? And that's probably a real important case of even in Pico Robertson, I'm sure people have that that struggle, particularly in the working class. What do you do if you accidentally left your load in an unsafe place? Uh, but to not put on to not put on a mask to, to walk around, I I wrestle I wrestle with that. Um as Brant sits here wearing wearing a mask. Um I, I wrestle with that choice because um because it is such a uh, because it is such a simple thing to do to be aware of other people's, uh, the value of other people's lives around us. Um, we don't have time to study the last source on the page. Oh, Joanna, go for it. Yeah, I'll give you the last word before I uh, close by pointing out one last thing about the last source. So just a couple of quick thoughts that freedom was never meant to be totally freedom from. And like when you, when you think of the battle cry in the Exodus story, right, we often, I think, cut off a quote too soon. We say, shlachet me." let my people go. Um, 
And but we don't include the word that comes after it, the abuni, so that they may worship me. I mean, this is God talking, so that they may worship God. So it's supposed to be freedom from slavery to worship God. You froze there, but you froze on a really excellent thought. It is supposed to be freedom from slavery in order to worship God. So is that was a very good point. A different kind of enslavement because it's enslavement to chaos and anarchy. We actually wouldn't be free because society would be so haphazard that it would be almost impossible to do anything in society. Good. You you froze mid thought, but you froze in a really good place mid thought. So it was wonderful, and you're absolutely and you're absolutely right. And uh, it goes back to the point that I was making when I was uh, briefly talking before the Torah reading about our having moved from a slavery from Pharaoh to adjusting to this life under a worship of God and and an observance of God's laws and worshiping to God and knowing that it wouldn't be an entire freedom, right? It's not, it's not, it's not a complete liberty, but rather a responsibility to God. And that's a perfect bridge, Joanna, to the last, um, to this last little bit from this quote from Shemot Rabbah. And it's a twist on a quote that shows up over and over again in the Talmud. I imagine that you might have heard before, we don't have time to study this full text from Shemot Rabbah, but I recommend it. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful text from Shemot Rabbah. You may have heard this quote in the Talmud before, Kol Yisrael Arevim All of Israel is responsible one to the other, or as a guarantor, one for the other. Here, at the end of this quote in Shemot Rabbah, there's this beautiful twist on it that I'd not seen before, um, and I haven't done a concordant search to see where else it shows up in this form. But gosh, it's beautiful how it shows up here. Shehem Arevim Benin Levein Hakadosh Baruch uh, and it's beautifully translated here as well. The all of Israel who are responsible to one another, to God. It's as if we are responsible to one another, to being responsible to God. As though we are responsible to one another, to being accountable to God. We are in a triangulated responsible relationship to God. It isn't always just about being in this horizontal, responsible relationship one to another, but that we are bound up in these uh, relationships with one another that are also in relationship with these laws that are out there in the universe, right? We're in relationship with one another all the time, but also hovering between us are are these covenantal laws, this breach that we have agreed to be bound up in together, right? We're not bound to each other by that breed, but each of us are bound like spokes on a wheel or like strands on a web to God and to this covenant. And between us are all of those agreements that each of us keeps up with all the time or does our best to keep up with to remain bound up and holding up our end of that bargain. And so we are responsible to one another and also to holding up this covenant. And the beauty and the magic happens when we 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 manage to be responsible to one another through that covenant, through the upholding of these laws. And that, that's like, that's where the magic happens. So I, I, I really love the phrasing of that. And maybe next time we'll have time to dive into the fuller text of what it means to be responsible to one another through the beauty of that covenantal relationship. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. 
If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.